ride a horse, save a cowboy. Or right, ride a ride a cowboy, save a horse. Save a horse, ride a cowboy. I never get it right. I never get it right. <laughs> Uh, welcome to Fascism Podcast. Welcome. I'm Hope. I'm Jackie. And on this podcast, we read a lot about art and fashion and some cultural aesthetics, and then we just chat to each other about it. Yeah, we have been doing a lot more research for this podcast, and I think that's going to, I think that should be a thing we do moving forward. I feel like we've done some really good podcasts because of episodes for yeah. you. Yeah, because we do do some research. We do do. <laughs> we do do, <laughs> do some research, but it's not so serious, you know? Yeah. It's like we're gossiping about it almost. We're gossiping about fashion in a cool way. <laughs> right. We're like revisiting moments in history that were meaningful or we're like dissecting theory, but we're still also like mispronouncing things and laughing and yeah, talking shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so before we get started with today's topic, Jackie, what's trending for you? Trending with me, I've been thinking about this one. Medical visits. I'm getting older. Gotta get those check guests stay on top of it. I was just thinking about how how terrible the medical system is in the US, but like just how like also inconvenient going to the doctor is because of how our work ethic is in the US. It's like you have to take time off or like, you know, use some sick leave with to just go visit the doctor. Yeah. And like the insurance makes it really difficult. Like I was you you just switched insurance, right? Like Yeah, and then it that's a whole fucking bullshit. It's such a scam. It's such a scam. And then I had to get my blood tested today cuz I went to the doctor today and they required an ID. And I was like, "Why? Why do I have to show you an ID for you to test my own fucking blood?" That seems really weird to me. For like drug tests or something or like. I don't know. STD tests. You could like have your friend who's not a whore go in for you. I don't know. This doesn't make any sense to me. I think. And I just thought, what about if people that don't have an ID? Yeah. Yeah. And need health care. Like, because there are people that exist out there that right. don't have IDs yeah. or don't even want to get an ID. Like. I don't know. So I was just kind of thinking the barriers that it takes. Just the fact that I had an ID. I was just like, OK, easy. But like. I don't know. Yeah. For one, medical debt, number one cause of bankruptcy in yeah, the I, U.S. I have some medical debt right now that I'm, I'm refusing to pay. <laughs> Come after me. I don't, I'm just like, I just don't believe it's ethically all right. So I'm deciding it's not. I'm just yeah. going right. to die. I'm going to, I don't know, have debt for the rest of my life because of it. Yeah. I mean, I was just in an argument with my brother and he was like, you're in the top 1% of wealth, which like, I don't know if that's. True. That can't be true. But even if it is, imagine Im imagine if I was in the one top 1%, it's like I, I would get ruined by medical debt. Yeah. Like it just... That's so sad. You know what I mean? Like there's a level of income where it's like I can buy things for myself right now, but yeah. it would only take one bad night. Or cancer. Or cancer. Right. Which is really likely for everybody, you know? Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I told you we have fun here, right? <laughs> <laughs> or cancer. Yeah, but I, I went to go see the gyno, which is my least favorite and my favorite because, like, I get to, I don't know, all my issues comes back to my vagina. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, thanks a lot, God. I don't know. Yeah, for giving uh, me the cesspool hole. <laughs> just exactly. like, yeah, put all of your smut in here, Walt. <laughs> exactly. And just, like, take it out already. Leave the clit. 
that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm going to the dermatologist, which I'm super excited. That's my more vain reasons of why I'm excited because I want to like get laser, you know, face stuff. And I don't know, fun. Uh, Is that fun? But they'll also like, well, my dermatologist checked me for moles like head to toe. And I was like, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just here for vanity. Yeah. But she was doing like actual medical. Didn't you have to like show her your butthole? I had to like (laughs) open up my vagina, I think. I think I had to like open the flap up. I was like, I don't know, Hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, that's, my dermatologist is not that thorough. She's like bad actually she only gives a shit about vanity so she's like in and out what do you what do you, what do you want what do you want where, where where are you think and i'm like i would like a head to toe look but i got that like four years ago from another doctor and she was like you're fine and i just don't trust any of them but anyways this dermatologist is like i'm like can i get filler you know like what's that look like she told me last time that i had a wrinkleless skin that i didn't need any botox so i already loved her you know what i mean but i am gonna try to like get some laser stuff for my face so no more of these like i don't know the blue what are they like they almost look like stretch marks but they're like blue marks you know what people have them on their face they almost look like veins but you know what i mean People have them. I'll show you. You have to get really close to my face to see one, and it's very tiny, but I'm like, mm-mm, no. Laser it off. It's just too easy to laser things off. Why not laser them off? That's what I'm saying, and it's not that expensive. I can. Af- it's a, one of those things that I can afford to do, and I'm like, treat yourself, I guess. Laser your face? I don't know. But yeah, uh, doctor appointments galore are my next three months. Um, She's getting tuned up, folks. Getting tuned up. I got a job. I got insurance, and I'm just like, get it while it's hot, y'all. Who knows when this will be, like, will this happen for long? Anyways, Hope, what's trending with you? Trending with me is, I guess, the opposite of medical visits, which is having COVID. Mm -hmm. I got COVID. Uh, (laughs) I drove to Portland area, actually Tigard or Tigard, Oregon. It's like 20 minutes. Is it called Tigard for real? T-I-G-A-R-D. I don't know. I'm definitely saying it wrong. It was just like a, an embassy suite 20 minutes away from Portland. And I was there for a West Coast Swing convention. Danced the night away Thursday, a.k.a. went to bed at midnight, which is like very early for these kinds of things. Everyone dances till the till the sun comes up. They're very serious about it. Yeah. I, I, when I say serious, they want to have fun all night long. Yeah. Um, I thought... I like saw this table in the corner of my eye and I was like, hey, Rue, you want to go get a G&T? And she was like, sure. And then I just like stormed off in that direction. And she was like confused about where I was going. And I was so certain there because it was a bar that was in this room. And then I get there and it's like just a sound guy. And there's no, <laughs> <laughs> and there's no alcohol. I, was... I love that scene. <laughs> You're like to the DJ, excuse me, two gin and tonics. And he's like, is that a song? <laughs> yeah, no one was drinking. There was like, whatever. That's insane to There me. was like a little like convenience store. It was also the first night, so. No was- hope. If it's not there the first night, which is when the alcohol should be There spewing. were like people drinking bottled beers, but, and people would go over to the hotel bar and like take shots and come back. Oh, okay. But like only one guy who didn't actually know how to West Coast, he was doing country Western. Oh. And it was like. Was that, was that a theme that was happening too? No, no. He was like the an odd one out and I think we all probably avoided him after one dance. Oh. Well, because he didn't know how to do the dance. Was he there with a girl or something? He said it was the only dance thing happening that night so he was just like went over to, to have it to. Good for him. Yeah. Anyway, I woke He's up just... with cold symptoms and was like, fuck, I guess I have to get tested 
So we went to Rite Aid. I took two tests because the first one was positive and I was like, nah. That positive thinking, that... Uh... Too optimistic. <laughs> As if like, which is like stupid because even if I got a negative, I still would have had to be like, I'm positive because I got one. Anyway. Yeah. I... It just felt like a cold. Next thing you know, I was in the car. Brian came down to get me, which is like great because taking a bus home, it would have been fine if I just still felt like I had a cold. But on the drive back, I mean, I, I would have picked you up if Brian couldn't pick you up. Thank you. It was, I was just like, you know, fever, whatever. The ride back, you know how it is being ill, whatever. Yeah. So I came home early. And Ree stayed, she, you know, tested negative. She wanted to have masked, a party. Yeah, she was- and she won the newcomers division no yeah i should send her a text congrats yeah. congrats to i her. know i know do you think you could have beat her if, if you had stayed Dude, i told i told every member of my family i've told they're like so are you better than her or what and i'm like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> they're like you're either number one or you're out of this fucking yeah, family exactly they want written proof that's uh, hilarious love it yeah so anyhow having covid was trending for me now radiant health but now brian also has it yeah now brian has so it. it's trending within the in the household. it's trending in the family yeah. yeah all right are we wanting to hop on over to the next real subject i'm trying to do a cool transition but yeah I, yeah yeah you want do you want to step you step, want to triple step <laughs> <laughs> to the topic <laughs> You got the money, I've got the time. We'll go honky tonkin' and we'll have a time. We'll make all the night spots dance, drink beer and wine. If you got the money, honey, I've got the time. Anyways, yeah, today we're talking about nudie suits, a.k.a. the bedazzled suits worn by country stars and made by tailors in California starting in the 1940s. And I think today's going to be an interesting episode because, you know, I wrote this week's episode. I I prepared, did the readings, but you already knew about these things. You're going to have like a lot to add and opinions. I mean, I wasn't even thinking. I was kind of like, there's not going to be enough to say. I text you one like one thing you immediately spout back and then I was like okay no there's a lot here (laughs) (laughs) so I read a few papers to prepare for this episode I read and I'm gonna just list the articles really quickly so that when I'm referencing these people you know who I'm talking about we have a paper called all that glitters country music taste and the politics of the rhinestone nudie suit written by Peter LaChapelle 2001 he's a historian We have Hillbilly Deluxe, Country Couture, and the Performance of Masculinity in Country Music by Janet Aspley, 2013. And lastly, we have Drag Queens, Cowboys, Cultivating Queer Country Music Through Postmodern Camp by Zamira Hussein for their Masters of Arts thesis. 2022. That sounds like a Masters of Arts thesis if I've ever heard one. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love that they made that, though. I'm so happy for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so happy that I got to read so much about Dolly Parton. We should be friends. Anyways, how did you hear about nudie suits? Because you went on a journey. I went on a journey. I visited my mom in Nashville and went to the Country Music Hall of Fame Museum. So learned more about country music there, like the origins of certain instruments coming from Africa through people transporting the slave trade and how they brought their instruments to the U.S. and basically like created bluegrass music. And then I also mostly took a lot of photos of the nudie suits, of these bedazzled suits 
that just were so campy, so colorful. They're amazing. Yeah. Honestly, they're peak fashion for me. Yeah. To me, that was like the most compelling part of the story. It's like when you have people putting all of this like attention into intricate, intricate, but they're also like all cop. They're all the same thing, basically, Mm -hmm. but they're all customized via the sequin work, you know, with these patterns of wagon wheels, roses, covered wagons, whatever. Skulls. And so as I was reading into nudie suits, I learned how they are connected to honky tonk music. And you have the Dust Bowl migration, which brings a lot of people from Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Texas out to California. This is spurred by dust storms that ravaged the ecology of the plains in the 1930s. So honky tonk has kind of uncertain origins, but it's connected to male entertainment, including burlesque. It's also connected to the musical fair at African-American taverns in the Southern Plains and the border South. Why Weird, because I thought a honky meant a white person. Yeah, yeah. It gets its name from the bars, right? Like, so the honky tonk bars were bars that played country music is how I understand it. That makes it. sense, because country music do be honky and tonky. Well, and so basically the way the music evolved was because it was being played in bars, it would get, the music got louder and louder to, like, compete with all of the people fucking talking in the bar. And then you also have really out-of-tune pianos, so it's, like, the piano is more, like, rhythmic. They're, like, it fucking doesn't sound good, so it, like, becomes more of, like, a rhythm yeah. element than, like, a melody. Totally. And a lot of the themes that people sing about are, like, drinking, getting in fights. It's, like, very connected well, to Well, yeah. That. Well, there's Saturday night country music, and then, then there's Sunday gospel. Interesting. And so, and so the genre really has working class roots, and that's part of its identity. And then who else comes to California in the 40s? We've got Nathan Turk, who learned to be a tailor in Warsaw, Poland. Woo-woo, Poland! Yeah, shout Represent. out. <laughs> we have a good friend who... Is Polish. most certainly not listening to this podcast right now. Uh, maybe because she told me, she said, I called her out by name, Kasha, hi, about how she always dressed really warm and she has not let me, she brings it up every, every time we talk. That is such a good way to know if people are listening is to mention them. Yeah, and kind of slightly talk shit about them, see if their feelings get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Nathan Turk, he comes to Sherman Oaks in 1923 and establishes a Western clothing store in Poland Tailoring was one of the few trades that Jewish people were allowed to practice in the 19th century. So a lot of the early garment making institutions in Southern California were run by Polish immigrants. And he starts to make outfits for motion picture stars, Tom Mix and Gene Autry. Um, And then by the late 1940s, his shop is selling these bright fuchsia, aqua and chartreuse colored Western suits adorned with symbolic embroidery such as roses and card spades. Wait, he's a Polish Jewish man? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. There's only like 500 of them left, I thought. So that's just interesting. Yeah. I could be totally wrong on that, but. It's a, uh, yeah, I shouldn't have agreed so readily, but <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think 53. <laughs> to be exact. Yeah. And then you have Nutia Kotlerienko, who emigrated to the U.S. from Ukraine. His name was changed to Nudie at Ellis Island. He went by Nudie Cohen and eventually he made it to Hollywood in the 1940s. And he was sewing stage costumes for burlesque dancers and vaudeville performers Ugh, in New York. This when is he when was there. it mattered. I don't know. I just feel like everything's so cheap now. But like, I don't know. The design clothes were just like fabulous and fun and detailed. It also seems like, yeah, you would be sewing sequins on for like hours and hours yeah, and hours. It would be like backbreaking work. Yeah. And it was for the show. Yeah, and so he really gets his sequin work down. Um, he also spent time on the road as a boxer. Gotta appreciate a multifaceted man. <laughs> He's like, I sew glitter on and then I go boxing. Which also made me think, like, because boxing, don't they have, like, kind of shiny outfits? 
Oh, you're thinking of the wrestlers, but you mean like their shorts? Mm-hmm, the silky shorts. Mm, sometimes, yeah, but I feel like it's those not a connection. I um, so he really ups the sparkle game within this uh, emerging aesthetic that was these bedazzled suits. He's the one who like is credited with really bringing the rhinestones to it. He starts dressing these country stars. Tex William, he gives him W-shaped pockets. Ferlin Husky. He embroiders huskies and dog sleds onto his suit. He works for Lefty Frizzell, who may have been the first one to wear one of his bedazzled designs. I'm just curious, how much is he making? Do you know? Well, some of them he would sell for like one to two thousand dollars. Okay, so he's making a good income. I mean, for back in the day. I'm just like, does this man have insurance? Does he have a house? Probably is everything. To, I have to imagine he's making way more doing this than the... Boxing? Well, than the like sewing for the... Burlesque? Burlesque. I mean, I just feel like everybody back then, I assume, was making like a decent wage and could afford like a, a home. I don't think that's true. I feel like... Isn't that... That's like the whole thing that's like there's always been... There's always been not as bad as it is now. I mean, like the 40s and 50s. The like income differential was way smaller then. Yeah. I mean, just like people, houses weren't a million dollars too. Yeah. So just curious. Just want to know if he's a, you know, has a house essentially. Yeah. I would love to know more about his life. Sadly, he was writing a memoir. I don't know if it ever got published because at one point they referenced his unpublished memoir. Then who has it? I know. You know what I mean? Like just publish it. Just publish it. Like free nudie. Yeah. I mean, he wrote it. I don't know. Yeah. We need to know. I just want to know if he has an apartment. I want the details here, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then uh, Manuel Cuevas begins working for nudie in the mid-1950s. Cuevas, he goes by Manuel, actually. So I'll mostly say his first name. He's still alive and he still has a shop in Nashville. But he's from central Mexico and he was working for nudie before he broke out on his own and as they make these suits for these country stars the suits like become part of the stars branding right it's like what you like what you're into is on your suit like plays on your name and whatever and cohen nudie cohen also refused to cut more than one suit exactly alike um and manuel also adopted this practice and this kind of added to the significance of the suits as symbols of upward mobility among the working class that's smart to have also this what time period is this 60s 70s no, 40s, 50s. Okay, I think that needs to be noted in the sense that, you know, country music is not like this anymore, so. Right, and we're going to, this is a very chronological thing that I've written. So yeah, we are in the 40s and 50s. And so, like I said, honky-tonk was a working class genre. People would also call honky-tonk music hillbilly music. Part of the identity of honky-tonk was, or maybe still is, authenticity. Janet Aspley quotes Aaron Fox, who describes the belief that Perfection is, in fact, the province of the high class and therefore inauthentic and disdainful. Like there was an identity, there was an identity within Honky Tonk that was about not being rich, like about not. Well, yeah, because people that were originally, especially in the 40s, making this music were traveling to Nashville from like the Appalachian. So they were like OG, didn't have like toilets and stuff. The, the Carter sisters is a great example of that. I don't know if they ever wore nudie suits, but they were women that got married and out in the boondocks when they were like 18, you know, and had to do all the chores. And they mm-hmm. husbands were like, I want you to, you know, you've been singing your whole life because she wrote songs. Let's go to Nashville. And they kind of got famous, but they have a song called like being married is awful or something like that. Like just about how <laughs> she's just like being a woman and being married is like death essentially and i love that song but i mean it's not a jam it's not like a it's not a bopper but it's it is it's historically interesting that women 
were speaking out about getting married mm-hmm. and singing about it openly. Yeah. Yeah. There, it's honky tonk lyrics were very personal and candid, like basically what you're saying, with guilt and self pity at their core a lot of the times. And this is one of the ways that some of these writers connect honky tonk and nudie suits to men like revolting or, or like crying out against the way gender roles were evolving post World War II. Because they talk about basically they call they they talk about this feminine aspect to honky tonk, which is basically that they're just bitching all the time. They're just everyone's complaining. The lyrics are all like they are though. Mm-hmm. And so you've got these post World War Two themes of being displaced and undermined. I like for example soldiers coming home to their wife like remarried or whatever, or like a a farmer who has to go work in a factory because of World War Two demands and like longing for that rural life again. Uh, there's so many interesting aspects to that because it's so nuanced and some of it is PR because it's like, I don't know how many people were like longing for that life, you know, like a lot of people did go to the factory intentionally to not be a part of that life. Yeah. And they were, they were marketing to the working class. It is very conscious. Yeah. And also Dolly Parton, she like, she talks about a little bit about growing up in the Appalachian as Pigeon Forge, and she, some of her first songs were dark. Yeah, jo- Dolly Parton is like a quintessential example of like working class, kind of like hillbilly, quote unquote, type music. And she just grows up singing and writing all these songs and like. Or just singing the songs that she grew up with. Right. Which were dark. Or would the, she would say, yeah. that's how you got your news. Right. And that was the thing in like the podcast about her that like, I can't remember what, who did it, but that's okay. Don't worry. They're already famous. Uh, uh, Radio Lab, dude. Yeah, yeah. They talk uh, about how, like, people used to go town to town talking about the crimes that were, had been done, and yeah, they would, exactly. like, sing them through the songs. So. Exactly. I mean, I remember my grandpa singing stuff like that. Yeah. It's like folk. It's like, you know, you know how you tell stories generation. You know how we used to tell stories generation to generation? Mm. But, you know, they were like, let's just sing it. You know, literally, that's it. I love it. <laughs> and so you have like this female aspect of being vulnerable with one's emotions and also wearing sequin outfits, but their personas were still decidedly masculine. This is the 40s and 50s. Lefty Frizzell was like supposedly a Mandy man, but was also a dandy because he was inspired by Gene Autry and he started dressing Western in the 40s and would customize his clothes to make them more colorful and flamboyant, but he was like also scared in the unpublished nudie memoir he says i made him up his regular style suit and sewed his initials on either sides of the lapels and rhinestones but when i showed him the suit you would have thought i was asking him to go on stage in a g-string he said he was afraid it would make him look like a sissy who is this again lefty frizzell don't know him i mean what a name his name is a sissy name I would beat him up for his name. Well, Lefty is like maybe because he has a left hook, they were saying. So oh it's actually God. a very think... manly name, Jackie. Oh, my God. <laughs> then, But then he goes on stage and the audience goes wild. So it seems like some of the people wearing nudie suits are like, this is a little girly, but also everyone loved it. So I just can't believe he was scared to go on. That annoys the shit out of me. Yeah. At one point, Nudie Cohen also says that like he was dressing someone for a movie and the guy was like, said like something about fag boots because the boots were too colorful. What the fuck is wrong with people? Yeah. I mean, that sounds right on for that being the time period. And like, it's only gets worse until like recently, I guess. But I'm also like, why are you so mad at color for being so cool? Like Mm -hmm. for men to be so afraid of color and some beautiful, like, it's just insane to me. I mean, the connections between this topic and chromophobia are so explicit. It's like fear of color, fear of bedazzlement and... Was saying that I did think Nudie was gay. 
And I think, and I'm convinced that the tailors, the people making these suits, were really the ones who were behind the symbolism of it. Like when people say it was a revolt against this, it was a revolt against that. I'm like, only the tailors knew that. Yeah. They were doing it on purpose. They were pushing it, yeah. In the 1950s and 60s, with the development of TV and radio, the country music industry like starts focusing on marketing to the urbanized working class. They're like, we got these radios, we can go spread the word, right? Like marketing's fucking hard back then. Yeah, and there was like, Somebody in Nashville particularly was like a car salesman, insurance person, and they also had a radio and they were like pushing country music with insurance. That's a thing. I forgot the whole story. That's a bad story, um, but it, it's a story I remember. <laughs> hey, we love, yeah, some guerrilla marketing. In it's like the opposite of guerrilla marketing yeah. where it's like, oh, yeah, here's a vaccination and also you should buy this album. Exactly. They're like, no, now sing a song about the vaccine. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it was something like that eventually became the Grand Ole Opry. Anyways. So they're marketing to the urbanized working class and they want to update this image of masculinity. And so they want to turn it from that of an uneducated hillbilly to an updated version of the Western gentleman, the still rugged flip side of the pathological working class male, the hillbilly domesticated for consumer society, the blue collar aristocracy. So they're trying to like market country to people who are like basically domesticated, like have nine to five. White people was really what it was about. Well, a lot of the people were white before, but they were not within the system in the same way. Yeah, but I feel like it was, I think it was Ford. That had also a big push on this country music. Reagan and Nixon, they both, they try to use country within their like presidential imagery to like, and I'll talk about that later. And like, it's like one of the moments where it goes like very explicitly political because it's like Reagan fucked up everything, dude. He really did. He really did. He's like, it's like, what hasn't he touched? Right. Even fucking country music. I mean, obviously country music, but like even country music, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so in this way, there's this read on nudie suits where they're they're revolting against the pressures that were beginning to shape in suburban Southern California. Like you literally have these people who have gone from rural lifestyles to nine to fives. Mm-hmm. And they're like, there's this uh, symbol of the gray wool suit that's like, you know, the shackles of domesticity or like... Whatever. And so in a way, like these nudie suits were like men almost like living a fantasy. This is hilarious to me that men are like, oh, I'm shackled by domestic. I mean, you're not at home. The woman is at home. You're doing you're at the bar. I don't like I don't know. Well, they used to be at the bar. They used to be able to just go to the bar during the day. And now you can't because you have a boss watching you all day. And now they have a bar at their office. This is the 40s, 50s, well, 60s. I, don't I think, think everybody's everyone strong. was drinking on the job. I, I disagree. I feel like only the important people were only the high up people like if you were down low you were working i don't know i feel like in the south everybody was drunk all the time fair okay either way they're like they're there's this transition of a lot of people to the nine to five lifestyle and they're like slightly more urban than they were before and country music is like trying to shift with them and the like the way that they marketed the men it was almost like they wanted to be like singing is just what they do for work but they're not their heart's not in it they actually love like hunting and racing cars like they wanted to drive home that these guys interesting it's like they don't really like to sing they're just making money because that's gay and so they're like yeah oh my god it's just like anything that brings you joy in life like that's innately just beautiful things to your eyeballs like singing music that's it's all like to act like you don't like those things right isn't that sad it's just it's soul crushing Mm -hmm. 
Because you do actually like those things. You're scared to like those things. I know. It's really sad. And the tailors that are making these suits, we've got Polish immigrant, Ukrainian immigrant, a Mexican immigrant, and they're bringing a ton of like cultural symbolism to these garments. And a lot of it like is also related to masculinity within their cultures as well. So like Manuel Manuel Cuevas, he's like drawing from mariachi suits and this clothes worn by bullfighters. That's sick. Which I didn't know bullfighting was a thing in central Mexico. Apparently it is. I mean, Spain. I know, but I thought it was only in Spain. I didn't know that it was like, you know, Spaniards didn't colonize. It's not surprising. It's just I never think about. I'm like, are there there. even bulls in Mexico? Yeah, they must have brought them over. I guess there are because cows are bulls. Look, listen, I had a gummy. I don't know what a bull is. Okay. (laughs) How did they get (laughs) into being boys? But so like for bullfighters, you wear these costumes and it's also this symbolism of manliness that's like only acceptable when you're fighting a bull. It's like you're only allowed to be sparkly when you're literally wrestling a bull. When you you might die. Yeah, because it's like. This like showiness, this theatricality is only acceptable for women. Being sexualized is only acceptable for women. It's like unless you're actually wrestling and then we know you're not gay because you're wrestling a bull. Uh, So you can wear sequins. But so they're bringing all these things from their culture. Like he uses floral embroidery, cording, um, the colors lilac, magenta, and pink, which like are draw from bullfighting outfit colors. Someone wrote, like matadors, country singers wear their sparkling embroidered suits to signify that they are authentic stars. Men who have been lifted from lowly beginnings by their talent, dedication, who have earned the right to display their superiority in sparkling clothes and whose manliness is integral to their role. Wait, say that again? So like matadors, country singers are wearing these suits to signify that they're authentic stars. It's like... I see. It's like they're justifying because they're performing. Because you're like the chosen one and like there's something really special about you. It's almost like they're sacrificing their manliness for a second for the... They're like, this is the cross I have to bear. Yeah. Sorry, I just was so talented. Exactly. And then like there's an Eastern European tradition of embellished clothing for men of status and wealth. So like Nathan Turk, there's like this annotated copy of the national costumes of Austria, Hungary, Poland, and Czechoslovakia. There's like that was a book and he had it and like had written tons of notes throughout it it's you can go see it in a museum oh whoa which museum home like uh i forget we gotta go to it i know i know what is it we have what was the other one we gotta go a bunch i think just the met honestly the met for sure i mean we want to go to the victoria album yeah duh but so in it there's like all these illustrations of like an embroidered sheepskin cloak and you can trace like he incorporates these vertical embroidered designs in a suit that he designed for Don Maddox of the Maddox brothers. So they're drawing on other cultural t- traditions and they're also drawing from this quote unquote Western aesthetic, which like by the 40s, it had already been established through popular Western imagery from traveling Western shows, rodeo parades and cowboy movies. And so like they were borrowing from that, which was based a lot on Native American traditions, partly because Native Americans were making white people's clothes. I didn't know that. I didn't either. And so it's like that like becomes Western clothing. Whoa. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Right. And because it's like I had always just assumed that they had like copied the motifs would probably happen too, I'm sure. But it was also like that was they were exchanging garments. I mean, there's they had there was trade going on, of course. Oh my God, my mind is blown. It's like, Americans never did anything for this country. (laughs) I mean, they're actually real Americans, you know, but. Yeah. Um, And then there's, they also draw on the influence of zoot suits. Love a zoot suit. Yeah. uh, Worn by black and Latin teens Mm -hmm. at this time. And the, the style is long and loose. And so 
at a time this time like at this point 40s 50s the style was like a shorter tight fitting suit so like at one point nudie designs like a loose fitting like zoot suit so he was like being subversive like he was it. it felt it feels very purposeful i mean he sounds talented he's like got he, he knows what's on he's on the thumb of it all right. you know he's trying it out he's not scared to go there if, at certain points he like wears different colored boots to like harken back to the times that he was poor and couldn't wear matching shoes oh have you ever worn mismatch really <laughs> you're like what's a shoe <laughs> um have you ever tried mismatched shoes on before because i was like it's a look i try to do it definitely but i was just wondering if you had no it's not comfortable no i wouldn't think so it doesn't feel right yeah you have to pay a lot of money for mismatched shoes that are the same but different colors yeah for a reason yeah so this is interesting i love that for him though he's like an artist i know seriously i mean i always knew he was an artist but i didn't know how deep it went Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so there's like a lot of dichotomy happening here you have men employing a level of color artifice straight up pizzazz that is associated with the feminine in many cultures including american while also explicitly boasting a traditional masculine role within society though deep down maybe they feel that role is threatened you have working class musicians showing vulnerability and authenticity through their honest lyrics often confessing to bar fights and very like human behaviors (laughs) while wearing bedazzled suits that suggest stardom. You have like a bricolage of cultural symbols being brandished as an American emblem of this stardom that could like rescue someone from the doldrums of the gray suit, nine to five lifestyle, whatever. There's a lot happening. And then we get rock and roll. It's a lazy day. Manuel really spearheaded Nudie Cohen's shops transitioning to targeting rock stars. So they make suits for Ricky Nelson, John Lennon, Graham Parsons. Yeah, Elvis. They make a $10,000 gold LeMay suit for Elvis. I was going to say, I was like, he's the one I know the most. I mean, like, I know all the country stars, but like, he's the standout Nudie suit musician to me. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, especially during the 70s. Yeah. And rock kind of takes over Hollywood and country goes back to Nashville. Like you have the softer pop influenced Nashville sound, which develops in the early 1960s. Oh, yeah. That's when it gets good. <laughs> Some country artists are now gravitating towards streetwear, sometimes with like a hint of Western detail. And there's this perception of older, more hardcore country music as being more authentic. And that's like what's associated with the rhinestone right. suits. So country starts to, like mainstream country starts to get more like normal streetwear kind of a thing. This is in the 60s? Yeah. Interesting. And then Manuel designs a suit for Graham Parsons. Do you know much about Graham Parsons? Oh, do I know about Graham Parsons? You want me to tell my little rant about Graham Parsons? Yeah. Yeah. He sounds like an asshole. Oh, he's a total dick. Graham Parsons and Emily um Emily Lou. You know that song? I'll be your June if um, you'll be my John. You know that one, what's it called? First aid kit song? Oh. I'll be your Emmy Lou. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about Emmy Lou to Graham. Graham. Emmy Lou Harris? Yes. Okay. Emmy Lou Harris, Graham Parsons dated and sang a lot of songs together. Um, Emmy Lou Harris is still alive and well and had, like takes car- care of like a 
hundred dogs. I swear. I don't know. She just loves her dogs. And you can see her walking like eight of them if you wake up really early in the morning in Nashville. But anyways, um, she's awesome. Fuck him. He died in Joshua Tree. Um, in the Joshua Tree Motel, which is where I want to take you guys because mm. you can still visit his room that he died in. And there was a whole debate about his body being sent back to, I think, te- Louisiana, Texas, one of those, with his parents, his stepdad was, and his friends. And his, and his body was being taken to the airport. And on the way there, the, their friends basically kidnap his body, essentially. Can you kidnap a body? Well, it's still the body and then burn it in Joshua Tree because that's what he, they said that he wanted. Dude, this is like you trying to get your tooth from the dentist who pulls it. <laughs> like you being like, no, I'm taking it home with me. I take it out myself. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. Like, That'll be $300. Yeah. And to this day, they have like a Parsons like climbing route that you can some called something. Okay. So what, how did he die? Overdose, I'm pretty sure. I think he's probably a 27 club. Don't quote me on that. At 27, they died. Oh, I was like, he did 27 different kinds of drugs. I mean, he definitely did. <laughs> and so, yeah, he gets a nudie suit designed for him and he puts, what does he put on it? Weed leaves, poppies, pills. I didn't know that. Flames, a big cross on Oh the- my God, what a fucking fuck boy. Absolute fuck boy behavior. It's not even ironic. Uh-uh. You would You would think it's a joke, but this man. There is an aspect to it where it's like, I mean, fair enough. That's what you like. I mean, that's so lame, though. Do you don't like pills? <laughs> <laughs> I do like the right ones. But this man, this I, man was blind with rage and, like, depression and not dealing with his issues. Yeah. Sounds like a big a-hole. He's not even that good of a singer. Ooh, I said it. Whoa, I said it. They, none of them were. Honestly. Janet Aspley describes him. I think she's like into him because she's like Parsons was boyishly, perhaps girlishly attractive with his soft shoulder length hair and hairless chest. He introduced an element of androgyny to the <laughs> to the wearing of country couture. That's hilarious. Well, that was the time when men were growing out their hair and people were like, what are you, a girl? Right. Well, and so rock kind of like introduces this concept of like male performers being able to be heterosexual sex symbols and also invoke like a more ambivalent gender identity. So this one uh, writer Marjorie Garber is talking about there's this emphasis on mimicry and masquerade in the performance of femininity that and so like any artifice when men use any artifice, it has a feminizing effect. It's which is like artifice is the opposite of, of like authenticity. And it's like really interesting that like artifice itself is connected to femininity. Yeah. Anytime they're like putting on costume, it's like feminine. And then she says Elvis, for example, was paradoxically read by the culture as a boy, a eunuch and a woman. I don't know how true that is. I thought he was just supposed to be a sex symbol. That's what he was. I guess it's kind of, kind of, he was kind of like a Harry Styles. He was queer baiting before it was cool or called that. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Is that queer baiting? I don't know. But Harry Styles is definitely queer baiting. Elvis Presley was just fucked up. Yeah. And I don't think he knew where left to right was. So is that queer baiting? <laughs> He's like boob wall. Yeah. He's just falling into whatever. But I also think you just get that famous and that rich and that good looking. I mean, he gets uglier as he, you know, time goes by. But you fuck everything. I just I just assume everybody's having some kind of orgy. I don't know. They talk about this new generation of country singers known as the new traditionalists in the mid 1980s. There's someone called Dwight Yaukim who's marketed with an emphasis on his smoldering but strangely contained and distant sex appeal. 
So he was styled by Manuel. What a w- way to explain sex appeal. He was styled by Manuel. Manuel put him in these short Hispanic jackets paired with skin-tight, torn, boot-cut Levi's jeans uh, adorned with handmade silver conchos, a la, like, vaqueros. But they decided to hide his genitals. Wait, I hope so. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you mean pants? Well, they said that the pouchy look was prevalent in Nashville at the time. So I'm like, does that mean they were trying to make their dicks look bigger? Was that a diaper? Are they talking about, did they wear a diaper? Why? What do you mean he had to hide his genitals? Was it was pouchy just out and about? Just willy He would, Manuel told me, have no dressage, distancing him from the pouchy look then prevalent in Nashville. You know what it was? He's probably wearing linen with no underwear. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's probably a cotton with no underwear. And so you think that they put they put him in underwear? I think they were like, we need to tighten that up a little bit. Well, they're like, the pants get tighter, but then they like don't. Basically, I think it's just That's me. What, yeah. it's, they're, it's not hugging his penis. The pants aren't hugging his penis. They're not emphasizing his bulge. This, the, this one that he's making now? Dwight. Dwight is like, my thing is going to be tight pants, no bulge. Wow. They're making him like a little Ken doll. I wonder what I just need to know more of this story because I'm very confused on why suddenly they're like, don't show the dick. What was that? The author is arguing that there's an androgyny that emerges in rock and roll that's like almost taking the nudie suit thing a little bit further where it's like, I'm girly, but it's like there's just like a sexual ambiguity that almost allows them to start to be sex symbols. But like, not really, because like you can't see my penis. It's like they just like couldn't show their penis at what in what context well they couldn't like on tv or was this out on the show like i think it's more the performances on tv yeah which means they're just being controlled by certain media heads not necessarily that they believe that yeah 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 yeah. it was like how they wanted to market them yeah they were like okay you're gonna be everyone's gonna be attracted to you but they're not gonna know why that makes more sense versus like i guess the artist making that decision you know like Uh if the artists were making that decision that's more confusing to me right yeah because everyone wants to have a big penis yeah exactly (laughs) and show it off yeah they were disney-fying it in the sense of like back then you there was like elvis was such a controversy because those hips baby i mean to think that that hips moving hips is like that's where they were at is all i'm saying right yeah so country basically turns its back on camp in 1996 the toronto star wrote of martina mcbride's efforts to rein in country music's trademark glitz they write no big hair, no gaudy outfits, no rhinestone flash. They almost, it's like they... When is this? 1996. I will say this is not in the 80s or early 90s. So in 1999, Hank Snow dies and the obituary in the Chicago Tribune reflects on him and they're like, yeah, he had gaudy style. It's like Peter LeChapelle writes about how like the critiques come from like the journalistic class and so it's essentially like someone like more elite looking at looking at culture looking at working class culture and saying and saying what the hell yeah what the hell is going on over here yeah and so as country tries to distance itself from that it too is like yeah we're not gaudy this is like where we really get into hussein's thesis because they dig into this idea of camp and queerness within country they write that country music has historically been associated with concept of authenticity while also being known for its use and celebration of gaudy and glamorized aesthetics they describe the queering of country and what they call y'all alternative have you heard that oh yeah where do you hear that i think on tiktok i never like- heard it I definitely have heard it from nearby queers and far away queers on TikTok. They said the alternative. Nice. I love um, it. There's just like, you know, people being cowboys mm-hmm. or wanting to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hussein writes about like the politicizing of country. And according to Bill Malone, 
country music has historically maintained an apolitical appearance. And it wasn't until the Cold War that a reputation for conservative values started to develop in earnest. But they also talk about the Vietnam War era, which is earlier than that, then that country music becomes politicized by Nixon and Reagan, who were big fans of country music, and they recognized the potential audience appeal to more traditional values. Because it was to- toxic masculinity. That It was mostly men. I mean, there was a lot of women, of course, singing, too. But they, it was so dominated in toxic masculinity, anti-gay rhetoric. They thought, why not? They just were taking advantage of what they saw. Yeah, people who were had patriotism, religious faith, this so-called silent majority. I don't even know how much patriotism it was until later. Yeah, I agree. I am also curious. But it was definitely focused on like, I don't know, having the male experience, talking about the male experience, you know, and controlling women and... I just like all the men that were singing back there, all their songs are just like so it's just like, you know, they would have been canceled just from one of their songs. You know what but I mean? Was that more so than other genres? That's hard to say. I would say yes, because a lot of like, I don't know, Janis Joplin, there was like a lot of women coming out of rock and roll. Not that a lot of them were coming out of rock and roll, but they were like doing protest music that were singing out about like the woman experience and being celebrated for it. In country music, the women that were singing country music weren't talking about women, like women's issues. I mean, they were in some context, but it was very like binary. It was very constructed by like how a woman should be and how she should pine over a man and how she, you know. Yeah, country music and rock really split and rock's kind of like the more progressive Woke. one. Yeah. yeah. And then Pre- President Reagan like really cements this relationship between country music's characteristic nostalgia for the home with right-wing politics and family values. And so the 1990s, we have also a folk revival and it's like basically – that's how queer country musicians exist within country. It's like they kind of occupy folk in this moment. Right. It's like Melissa Etheridge, Indigo Girls. I went to a Melissa Etheridge concert with my mom. Aw. Yeah. That's really sweet. She loves Melissa Etheridge. I love that. Journalist Alex Gallagher notes that lesbian folk musicians of the 90s have become something of a throwaway joke. But let's face it, if these artists were debuting in 2021, they'd be considered the cutting edge of Americana rather than idealistic neo-hippies. I mean, hmm. that's like... Melissa Etheridge is Canadian. (laughs) I just want to say that. (laughs) Most of these women didn't have to survive in the South that they're talking about. I can't think of one of that era in the 90s that was Southern lesbian. They at least weren't coming out within country music. It was existing in folk. But like folk outside of the South is what I'm trying to get to. Melissa Etheridge and all like all like any of those. Yeah. I mean, which makes sense, right? Like the West Coast is like where these things are tending to happen, which brings me to Patrick Haggerty, who... This actually happens in the 70s. Patrick Haggerty is an icon. Okay, so this guy grows up near Seattle and he like early on has like a proclivity towards like makeup and costume and whatever. There's like a short 15 minute documentary on him that I watched. Um, This is a gay country musician. He comes out with the first basically out country album in 1973 called Lavender Country. Mm Mm-hmm. 
he puts it out in a newspaper. The Seattle like Gay Alliance helps him make this record. He makes he presses a thousand of these records and then he just puts ads in a newspaper saying, do you want to listen to gay country music? Mm-hmm. And then people buy the record. There's a song on it called Crying These Cocksucking Tears. Mm-hmm. And it's just like beautiful, mournful, very mm-hmm. blue, like, uh, I don't know, bluegrass, honky tonk. Is it bluegrass? Yeah, he does a kind of like a, he does a cowboy yodel. I'm fighting for when there won't be no straight men Cause you all have a common disease Can't give very much for loving and such But you take it wherever you please Don't wrap the story I wouldn't say it's bluegrass. I, don't, I would say honky tonk. Gotcha. Okay. But you know, cowboy yodel is like. Yeah, it's mournful. It's so, I was listening to it a lot yesterday. Beautiful. And so he grew up near Seattle. He early on is into makeup and costumes. And there's this one day where he's at school and he's like getting ready for a play or something. And his dad comes to pick him up and he he kind of runs away because he doesn't want his dad to see him in makeup and, and this costume. And then he gets in the car. His dad's like, don't hide yourself. Like, I'm going to tell you something. Don't hide yourself. I remember this story. Yeah. Like, just like life is going to be so hard if you're if you can't just be who you are. And like he talks about this as being a moment of strength that like that allowed him. I mean, he's so like humble and like nice to like credit his dad for this. But he's basically like people ask how I made that album. That's how because my dad said I could. That's that's so sweet. It's so beautiful. He just died. I know he just died. In February. It's like I just got to learn who he was. You're like, I didn't get to see him live. I know. He was, he like, they they were playing in Seattle still to this day. I try to get people to listen to country music here in Seattle and no one ever wants to. Everybody has an idea of it. And I'm like, you have the right idea actually. But (laughs) there's some good country music that I think you're just, people just didn't grow up with. It really is just growing up with. It's the nostalgia of it. I mean, I like it. Like, I think you're liking it though now because you're getting to know it, you know, right, right. you're diving deeper into yeah, it. You're yeah, understanding yeah, yeah. it. You're, if you, I was just like, just listen to this with no context. I think a lot of people are like, why? But I'm just really happy. Also, my upstairs neighbor was part of a gay country band. Really? Yeah. Basically like at some point he doesn't, so he makes Lavender Country and he gets like shut out of Nashville. He basically, yeah. he can't be a part of that industry so he does other stuff he runs for city council twice in seattle and like comes actually he gets like 18 percent of the vote as like a radical he's a socialist he talks about karl marx no he's a fucking badass he's such a badass he like adopts a kid and then has a kid with a lesbian like a biological kid that's literally my dream so someone puts the album online at some point and so people hear about it and gets like fame not fame but like notoriety at least amongst like a certain crowd and so that's what like what allows him to make this album years and years later when he died he was touring not only as lavender country but he would go to like old folks homes and like play them hymns on the guitar that's so cool and when he would tour instead of touring with a band he would just connect with local musicians in every place that he played a show so that he could like i love that meet people like 
mentor them, you know, like spread the word. I don't know. Yeah, come here, son. I'm going <laughs> to tell you a little bit something about country music. I don't know why he's suddenly Southern. Right. He's just trying to hook up. Maybe not. He I- did have a husband like towards. I mean, not that that means you. That doesn't, especially in the gay world, that does not mean anything. But I don't know. I think after 80, I feel like, what's the point? Yeah. So the thesis I read also talked a lot about Dolly Parton, her working class identity, her over-feminized persona, which like kind of allows her to exist within country. And so there's like this duality of authenticity and artifice where she's authentic in that like she's kind of like maintains her working class roots like she does a lot of work in her community she even though she's not a mother herself she like is a mother figure to people so like it's she's the cool aunt she's the cool aunt it's like interesting how like she over time also has like come out in support of lgbt she's like known for having fans on both sides of the aisle like but she does you know speak her support of well, she's like, obviously, I can't lose my gay fanship. And then she's also, like, helped her community so much, almost like a mafia leader or something. Like, I don't think Dollywood was particularly ecologically a good idea, but she started it literally so people in her community could have jobs. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the intention. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she's always done these kind of, like, acts of care. Yeah. I think she just related so much with the rural side of, like, the Appalachian it's just like this that's just the behavior you be teaching people you know yeah and she also is just i don't know i think on the red side they can't hate her because she's literally provided so many jobs and books she's also the reason that they have books too like she has sent out she has a whole program to send to rural areas that don't have access to libraries and she sends books to people's like house like Mm. you can sign up for free it's a whole thing yeah. She's known as the book lady in some areas. Really? Yeah. Like, there's a really sweet interview of this older man. I mean, like, my age. And he's just like, I just want you to know, you were the book lady for me. Oh. Before you were ever Dolly Parton. Oh. Because she would, like, come and bring books? Because she was the one that they got books from. How did then? So she would, like, show up? With I think them? they just, like, there was probably a connection of being like, this is the lady, you know, she, like, talk, probably talked about it on the TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Right, like, right. It's like, we're going to send these books. This is how you sign up. I don't know how the process was, but, like, Everybody knew she was, like, her picture was probably connected to something, you know. I don't know how, like, where they picked up the books. I don't know the marketing of this book system. Okay? (laughs) Dude, this is why we need famous people from all parts of the country, not just Los Angeles. (laughs) Or just people that didn't grow up rich is really what the key is. Yeah. But there's like two varying different parts of people that are like grew up rich uh, or grew up poor. It's like one, they become Ellen generous, like the meanest of mean and and just like I'm never going to share any of my wealth with right. anybody. Or other ways, like I'm going to give out my wealth as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. So you never really know what you're going to get. Yeah. So she's in a weird way, like even though she's not in a lot of ways overtly subversive, like she is also subversive in the same way just through like i don't know never having kids support supporting gay people like the way she uses her femininity it's almost like beating them to the punch like you were gonna sexualize me and try to make me this character so i'm just already gonna do it yeah and it's it's just a character i play and it's like a way that i protect myself i don't know how she does it she's always been she's gotten away with being the way she has for so long it's because she has such a good sense of humor about it she reminds me of pam anderson in that way yeah i don't know pam anderson didn't have that good a sense of humor about things i would say she's like had she i think pam anderson like let things roll off her back a lot more and like showed grace but i think 
Dolly Parton is exceptionally witty. I believe, yeah, definitely that. Like, she's always been on her toes with she, it. She's more intentional and, like, strategic, whereas Pam Anderson was just, like, going with the fucking flow. Yeah, she was kind of just, like, living life and, yeah. Um, another thing about Dolly Parton, just a little fun fact. I think this is well known. Like, y'all are probably like, we already know all this Dolly Parton stuff. But, hey, if you don't, whatever. She supposedly has tattoos from head to bottom. Like Dolly Parton does? Covered. No way. And she even wears gloves. You'll start seeing them now. You'll, she wears gloves up to her fingertips. No that way. That are the color of her skin. And sometimes she decorates them. And they're all glittery. But Whoa, dude. Yeah, she, everybody's like, why does she do that? I mean, it could be because she's just, like, she doesn't like her hands getting old looking. Which is a high chance of likelihood. But she's also the theory is that she's just covered in tattoos and she's Ooh, hiding them. Wow. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's just ornamentation up the wazoo. I mean, I don't see her getting tattoos because that wasn't, but like she has, at the same time, she has like so much surgery. Why wouldn't she get tattoos? What's the difference? You're getting the knife put in you somehow. Well, one of them, you get to be asleep for it. That's true. The other one, you have to be awake and you like it. Oof. <laughs> yeah. And she, yeah, I think in a way, like, did pave the way for Trixie Mattel, just, like, by for sure, kind of inviting queer culture into country. I would say a lot of the drag queens paved the way for Trixie Mattel before Dolly Parton. Yeah. Um, But But within the world of country music. And Trixie Mattel, for those, if, where have you been if you don't know who fucking Trixie Mattel is, is my question. Are you living under a rock? Because Trixie Mattel is one of the most famous YouTubers, one of the most famous drag queen, like famous, famous, like sold out shows, like huge shows. Okay. Um, but they're a country music singer, songwriter. I wouldn't uh, say that's their first thing, but they think it might be. They, I think they think they are that, but really they're a drag queen and comedian. And Trixie Mattel does look like Dolly Parton and has a Dolly Parton aesthetic for sure. And they know that. But also, they said that the Dolly Parton isn't their favorite country musician, actually. Oh, really? Who is? I mean, they were more into, like, Loretta Lynn, Patsy Cline. I mean, like, more of the other women. Dolly Parton is a different country. I don't know how to explain it. Um, I think she had written so much music at that point in the 80s and 90s is when I'm kind of thinking of a time period for her. Or the, even the 70s and 80s. She had written so much music forever that she had gotten kind of past that needing to sing about sad shit. And there's so many, Patsy Cline and, and Loretta Lynn were still singing sad shit up to the day they died. Mm. So there was a, definitely a different transition. Coal Miner's Daughter is a song that I know every word to and used to sing it at every karaoke song. And because my mom used to sing it growing, growing up all the time, oh. a little, little Red Lynn song about being a coal miner's daughter, because she was. And it's such a depressing song. I don't know why I ever thought that was a karaoke song. <laughs> That's why you switched to genuine. <laughs> yeah, like, I literally did. That's... Oh, my God. What a transition. Because <laughs> it was like the only song I knew by heart. Anyways. That is so funny. Yeah. So they're basically there's this thing where like there's this queering of country happening Hussein's piece about like camp and country and queer and whatever they a lot of it's talking about like what will be queer culture's place within country which I was kind of like I don't know it's I feel like it's just allowing these traditions to carry on but not the ones where it turned conservative for a hot second you know Mm -hmm. it's allowing some of these roots to, to, to continue the dances I mean even that like they're doing gay western night now in seattle and like people are can learn two-step and learn some of these dances but like not within a toxic structure yeah it's pretty dope it is pretty dope because we were i was just asking about i was asking the other people i was like 
where can we learn? Like, are there any teachers that we could like learn from personally? Because like, Rye was like, we need a trainer. Yes. We need to train. And I was like, who's going to train us? Like, no one's teaching two-step for just. You'll get so much better at Emerald City. If you take uh, a couple workshops. I, I know. that's. I Now I think Rye's going to stop going to Friday nights just because they know they got hoedown coming up. You know, they're just like, well, I'm going to learn in a compact. Like, right, right. So they're like, what's the point even coming once a week? And I'm like, I don't know. Good point. I'm just going to keep going. Anyways. Uh, oh, yeah. And I was talking to somebody about western country scenes for two-step dancing and they were like yeah everything's kind of struggling and then one person was like and women get away with a lot in certain areas like they can play like they can dance together but it's like gay men dancing in west like some of these places is not safe Mm. still Mm -hmm. so which i think is interesting yeah because i was like could we go down there and would they like do we are there cool spots outside of seattle that are safe yeah. for queer people yeah. i'm sure there are like in other you know major cities i don't know of any i'm sure maybe palm springs because they do have a they have a club but i'm trying to think of like um nashville definitely doesn't they should you could you're just assuming that there's not a ton of like country western dancing i just figure big cities have like every big city has everything yeah but country western stuff is um being queerified for sure right now but i i think it seattle's the the hot spot for it right now i just haven't heard of any other places and i've like i've done some research you know and there is i mean country western dancing it has to be popular kind of in one place you know what i mean like there has to be some people already doing country and western for gay country western that'd be happening you know what i mean and i'm thinking like denver definitely doesn't have that you know what I mean? Like, there's not country western places also really struggling, period. So, like, yeah. so the scene isn't as prolific as we think it is and yeah. or as as popping as we think it yeah, is yeah, because yeah. we're seeing it here. Um, I just assume also because it's, like, with West Coast, you can, like, look up. I mean, I've only looked in, like, Sacramento and San Francisco, but it's, like, you can find a West Coast night happening. But, like, I can see how that's – yeah, is not. It's country and western are the ones that are struggling the yeah, most. Yeah. Um, it's just old school and like new people. And now it's becoming, it's just so funny because people that are learning it are like gay or artists. And it's uh-huh. like the opposite of what it, it was like, <laughs> what people really were gathering for. And Dude, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like even just seeing how the cuff, so that's the gay bar that was hosting the country western nights. It's already it already had to relocate because too many people were coming. It's it's gonna pop. It's gonna happen. It's, I hope it surges again because it's so much fun. Join us. It's so much fun. I mean, yeah. It's like all you need. You could even just okay, just learn one line dance. You could learn the line dance to Shivers because there's a specific line dance to the song Shivers. Learn it on YouTube and then just invite a bunch we're of people over to your house. Tilted? There's also that that one stunt from Christine and the Queens. Such a good song. Uh, yeah yeah and so that's the thing about line dances like the electric slide was a specific dance to a specific song i didn't know this and it blew my mind and now it's like you have a soldier boy one yeah but that's not (laughs) (laughs) i really could have been a line dance if they i don't even know it but i remember it i remember watching people do it (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's all i know dude really really embarrassing memories are coming to my mind right now (laughs) 
Stop. You at least knew the dance. I was a, such a loser and refused to learn dance stuff like that. I was like, ew, rap. Because I was a f- probably a white supremacist back then. Just, you know, my mindset was like, I would never listen to rap. It's so degenerate. I, mean, I was an indie girl too, but. No, but I was like a more Christian thinking. Through In a high school? Of, up to like when I was 16, I was pretty like Christian-y and beliefs or acted it. I looked at walk to remember as a romance that I wanted. So like I was like, how do I dress like Mandy Moore? I would try to dress like Mandy Moore in that movie. If you've ever watched it, she looks like a fucking maid. She like looks a, like a a, a bad a sister woman. wife. Yeah. Wait, can you do a sum up though of what we just talked about? Yeah. So I think like there's been this theme of authenticity within country music. There's been this push and pull between gaudiness and showmanship versus almost like too cool for school. Like basically like the same chromophobia we see that where like art, expression, bedazzlement, artifice are seen as feminine, uh, superfluous, otherwise, you know, immoral. And so with the nudie suits, we kind of it blends that like masculine identity with the feminine essentially and masculine identity with the feminine and then but also the austere with the ornateness how austere because the austere attitude yeah i guess the push against it i i thought it was brilliant but okay (laughs) well but okay and so then eventually country music rejects the nudie suit and like now i think the new queer resurgence of country is accepting of the nudie seat i mean we see orville peck i didn't even talk about orville peck why didn't you talk about orville peck because i forgot (laughs) (laughs) but he's like you know out gay country musician who is i mean the video of him and shania twain and their duet song she's in a cheetah print onesie with friend that's her classic that's her look okay have you ever watched the man i feel like a woman but that's not even what i was thinking it was like Man, that don't impress me uh, much. Yeah, dun, yeah. Dun, dun. She's wearing that. You gotta look. You gotta watch that. I w- yeah, I'm gonna have to go watch these videos. And then in it, he's you know wearing his signature mask. It's got the fringe. I mean, he takes these country elements and he makes them queer. Yeah, it's totally beautiful, genius. Yeah. And in that video, he also has like rhinestones, like bedazzling, almost like it's underwear outside of his pants. He looks amazing, and the vibe between him and Shania is so like gal pals having fun and loving each other. And, like, being so supportive. <laughs> you just like seeing country music people be friends to each other. I think I like seeing a man have a friendly relationship with a woman, you know? And it's like... I fucking love that shit, too. Yeah. And it's usually with a gay man, I'll have to say that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I said this where I, I can usually tell, you know, a man is gay literally on how they make me feel. I don't know. There's something about it. It's like if I don't feel pressure... And I, whatever that means. Right. Just well, saying. I'm really good at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're psychic. So like. That's what I'm you saying. You read their minds and you see what. It's not even read. It's literally just sitting in my body and feeling the forces around me. <laughs> I know that sounds so stupid. I know it does. But it's like, I can't. I, I'm i thinking of like literally every time I've met a gay man and they haven't told me that they're gay. But it's something about how I feel so relaxed around them. Mm. Like, I can talk about something and it's not going to be a big deal. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I can be yeah. like, vagina! And, you know, and I, don't, I feel like they, they wouldn't react in a weird way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
There you have it. There you have it. But yeah, Orvel Peck. He's an emblem of where country is going. And Luke Bryant is then what? I don't know who that is. He's another country music star that is also an emblem of where country music is going. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's in the opposite direction. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. It's the it's the pulling in, of like West Coast country versus Southerners trying to stay to their roots. And they like wear like baseball hats and t-shirts and drive their truck but they actually grew up pretty rich and have never had to work hard in their life so it's so creepy and it's like it's just part of the image you know like it's so interesting how much of country music has been and all music is about marketing it's always about marketing but but country music is super bad they'll be like tequila specifically this brand (laughs) (laughs) insert into song I've drank too much Daniels last night. Yeah, it's on sale at Safeway, kid, <laughs> right now. There was a song called Mr. Mom, which is like one of my favorites, um, where this guy, he's like Mr. Mom, and that gets played sometimes at Friday nights. And I remember being like, I remember Zoe came up to me because she's one of our other friends. One of our friends come up to us uh, and just being like, I don't really like country, but here I am. And I was like, you didn't like Mr. Mom? It's about being a, you know, their mom died. And then he has to, you know, fill in the place. And he has to be, but he's a, and she was like, I kind of like that. I'm like, yeah. I don't know if any of his other songs are actually good. I like, I think it's still, he's still problematic, but mm-hmm. there's some, there's some good ones. There's yeah. some really bad ones. I'm thinking some of the more patriot, patriotic ones. You just ride a horse, save a cowboy. Or right, ride a. Ride a cowboy, save a horse. Save a horse, ride a cowboy. Never get it right. I never get it right. If you ride two horses and then you put your cowboy in the bank, how many will you save? Yeah, I'm just like, there's a lot of music that is going in the opposite direction. And a lot of country music that I would say stylistic ways wise is not great. Casey Musgraves, I would say style where we want her to go, like where we want country style to go like that's why we love her but she's overproduced mm-hmm. they all are let's not forget taylor swift was originally country mm-hmm. okay you guys i think we forget about that miley cyrus og kind of country not really you know she was hannah montana dude two, two worlds even Katy perry did country did you know that um, i think even britney spears did country no dude she's hick as fuck but she didn't put a country album out not an album anyway i think I think this concludes it. Okay, you're done. You're done. All right. All right. Rate us five stars. If yes. you made it this far, it takes a second. You know the haters are doing it. Yeah, we need you guys uh, to show up. And thanks for listening. I love you, Hope. Thanks for coming I love over. you. Bye. Bye. Take long naps, go from my heart.